You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Welcome to another edition of Life Behind Mars. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the Daily Beast, drinking food editor, joining me. As always, is my co-host, David Weindrich. Welcome. Let's talk about drinks. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about a very, very interesting time in the history of cocktails and spirits, and not, not a period that gets a lot of discussion, a lot of attention. It's what we usually call... The Dark Ages. The rebirth of the cocktail gets most of the buzz, most of the headlines, most of the ink, and you know, cocktail people, just like everybody else, we all love a rebirth. Cocktails and spirits had a pretty significant downfall. Yeah, things got really bad after World War II, up through my formative years, really until the late 1990s when you really started to see uh, signs of renewal. A little bit before that, they were pretty few and far between. Obviously, certainly there were bright spots, you know, in those decades. But but by the end, the, the oh. 80s and, and 90s, it, it got pretty dark. There was some grim stuff. After World War II, all the bartenders had been drafted. You know, after Prohibition, we rebuilt the cocktail culture. We had new cocktail lounges. People were mixing drinks. And then comes World War II. All the bartenders are drafted. They stop making whiskey domestically. Everybody has to drink uh, cheap imported rum, which is... Fine if it's good rum, but it wasn't all good rum. Or just, or really anything they could get their hands yeah, on by the end of the war. Yeah, anything they could get their hands off. Vodka starts taking off during World War II. After the war, vodka sinks back down again for a couple years. People try to rebuild, but the whiskey wasn't there. Right. The brandy wasn't there. France wasn't exporting. Scotch, obviously. Scotch is. was in bad shape because yeah. the war had been a major knockout on all these industries. Sort of no wonder we, you know, we get the rise of tiki, right? And, yeah. You know, sort of these. Okay, rum you could get. Right. Rum, those places hadn't been really affected so much. Yeah. But what you couldn't get was the, you know, you couldn't get the good cognac to make your sidecars. Right. It was hard. Meanwhile, American whiskey, they're just making blends. Right. Well, just because the stretch, the the supply. Yeah. To get bottles and those blends aren't very good. American no. blended whiskey was already been cut with vodka, people are saying, you know, this vodka stuff, that's actually not bad, you know? <laughs> At least it's not bad. You might have a real shot here, kid. Yeah, and, and you start seeing in the late 40s, through the 50s, and into the 60s, growing sales volume uh, double digits every year. Absolutely. And, I mean, that compounds. And a lot of it's the back of the Moscow Mule. Yeah, the Moscow Mule, the Bloody Mary, the Screwdriver. Which are all drinks where the foremost flavors are in alcohol, right? Exactly. Because you can get the alcohol. So you're, it's the orange juice. It's yeah. the tomato juice. It, it's, it turns out. It's the ginger beer, the ginger ale, the lime juice. That's all a lot juice. of people wanted, you know, uh, especially right. after the war. The stuff that did taste like alcohol wasn't very good. That was the rise of the uh, no vermouth martini, which is a nasty drink. I'm sorry. I love martinis. <laughs> and I used to drink a lot of those. Oof. Yeah. You'd get these ultra dry martinis. Those were for the people who who wanted the booze. And for everyone else, they're like, 
no, let's just lay, lay that aside. And I think you're right because that whether it's gin or it's vodka, that that very dry martini mm -hmm. becomes almost a signature of the dark ages, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's one constant for almost every one of these periods. Yeah. No matter how America changes, what's going on, people are still the 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 real like heavy drinkers are still drinking these martinis. super dry martinis yeah. all the way through, which turns a drink which was very subtle, like before oh, Prohibition. Yeah. I mean, you have the 50-50, the Nick and Nora, where originally, like, a lot of people were drinking them, 50% vermouth, yeah. 50% Or maybe alcohol. it would be two-thirds, one-third. Right, third, exactly. You know? There was a lot of vermouth in there. There might be some orange yeah. bitters. But during the Dark Ages, it becomes like the martini is dry. Right. You know, and it's that's like, it. that's it. Nothing else acceptable. And by the end, I mean, I yeah. remember going to, you know, there's certain restaurants or steakhouses. You'd get like a ginormous martini glass that could probably yeah. hold you know, 20 ounces. ounces. Yeah, I mean, it was crazy. Like, I, I mean, one of those and you're drunk. Yeah. You I, know? <laughs> yeah, split by four three. people. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's so far yeah. removed from yeah, what you, the martini was supposed to be. I know. And what that did is, is it completely threw mixology out of whack because – People who didn't want that, there was no middle ground. Right. So they all ended up drinking these really easy drinking light vodka-based drinks or white rum-based drinks that were just kind of highballs. You know, it was some soda or or the Bloody Mary yeah. uh, where you couldn't taste the alcohol at all. Everything gets completely polarized. And those drinks become the, you know, the, norm. the, the other popular drinks. It's right. either – so you're either drinking all alcohol – something where you can only taste alcohol or something where you can taste no alcohol yeah. at all. It's a very unfortunate time for, for cocktails and spirits because obviously, you know, wine comes on very strong. I yeah. mean, you get the judgment of Paris in 1976 where for the first time in a blind tasting, American wines beat French wines right. in Paris, right. right? And then you have, you know, the, the craft beer movement right. starts. And meanwhile, in the bar... What's the hot drink of the 70s? The Long Island iced tea, where you can't taste the alcohol. Right. And you, can't, yet, you can't feel anything. You can't, you can't feel yeah. your feet. I grew up on Long Island in the, in the 70s. I remember those things right. when, the, when they first started coming out, and they were just lethal. Right. You know, it's just a mix of everything yeah, and cola. Yeah, and, and, you know, and it, it didn't taste particularly boozy. So it was kind of combined the two. The other drinks, like a Harvey Wallbanger, had like an right. ounce of vodka right. and a half ounce of Galliano and a big right. tall drink. There was really no alcohol in there, or not much. It's funny. It's like all of these very suggestive names, either like you know very macho, like yeah. Harvey Wallbanger, or yeah, yeah. you know very suggestive sexually, you know, or or just bizarre, like the fuzzy navel and all this stuff. And yeah, it was all these wink, wink. Aren't we having fun? Type these drinks. kind of like yeah. threes company drinks, yeah, you know, exactly. like Mister Furley is whipping them up at the bar, you yeah. Know? You try all of them, and they're all surprisingly kind of syrupy, sweet. It's almost like a 12-year-old is behind the yeah. bar making these drinks. I, I remember drinking, like, Snake Bites, which was uh, Yukon Jack and Rose's Lime Juice. Oof. That were like 50-50 shots. Right. You know, that's terrible. Right. There's so much sugar in there. Or, you know, whipped cream and all this yeah, other crazy. All, all, these, all these shooters like that, Alabama Slammers. Velvet Hammer. Is yeah, you, you had all this stuff. Yeah, Velvet Hammer with ice cream in it. 
Oh. oh, man. It's literally like TJF Fridays was setting the cocktail menu for the country. All kinds of drinks like that in the 70s. And, you know, uh, partly it was uh, they didn't have the, the, the labor behind the bars right. to make anything more complicated. Yeah. They didn't have the ingredients. The premium brands were all dying. Thanks to Prohibition and World War. Yeah, World War II. We also lose fresh fruit juice and yeah. using simple syrup. That's all gone. That's atom- all gone. The atomic age wipes out all of yeah, that. sour out. mix now. It comes in a pouch, yeah. right? It looks like, you know, we're... Yeah, squirted out of the gun. We can send the man to the moon. We should have yeah. our sour mix come out of a gun. It's stabilized. It's got, like, fake egg white in right. there to make it frothy. It's... Better living through science. All the drinks end up tasting the same, you know? I remember as a kid growing up, that astronaut food, freeze-dried, like, ice cream and all that other stuff. Yeah. A lot of the bartending stuff seems like it was in that same yeah, vein. Yeah, it was freeze-dried. It was prepackaged. It was ordered. And it seems so cutting edge. And eventually it got to the point where people said, well, we got to do it. It's cheaper. Right. Our friend Dale DeGroff, whom we talk about a lot, was hired by a big hotel chain years ago to consult on their drinks program. And he said, you know, we should go to fresh juice. And they said it's so expensive. They costed it out. Fresh lime juice was like eight cents an ounce. Right. Sour mix was seven cents an ounce. But it turns out you used a half an ounce of fresh lime juice and used two ounces of sour right. mix because it's pre-diluted, <laughs> you know. So so it turns out, yeah, on an ounce by ounce basis, sure. But uh, right, and that was enough. But that led, you know, all that volumizing also during the dark ages led to drinks getting bigger and bigger. Right. That's and true. And people too. expected doubles. Right. And once people wanted doubles. Bars found ways of giving them the same amount of alcohol in twice the size of glass. Right. So that involved using things like sour mix, which is pre-diluted, uh, lower-proof spirits. Or different types of ice cubes. Yeah, ice chips come in. You know, you can fill a glass with ice chips and you put in an ounce of whiskey and it exactly. looks like you've given somebody yeah. three ounces. Exactly. You know, and then when they, you know, they drain the ounce. Now, these are all ways of increasing the establishment's profit and screwing the customer on quality. Absolutely. And that was a big part of the Dark Ages, yeah. too. In the 60s, VSOP Cognac was 10 to 20 years old, right? Wow. By the 80s, VSOP Cognac was four to six years old. And that's a huge difference. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's things like that happened. A lot of the whiskey, you see the proof start to come down. You they know, come down. You know, it the goes malt from blends. To I remember some blends that you drink today, and they're as light as water. Those things used right. to be rich and smoky. Uh, I'm not going to name names, but uh, some of the big ones uh, used to be much richer. I was tasting one of these bottles from the 60s, and it tasted like the finest Macallan from today. today, And that was blended scotch back then. You know, over the decades, too, people just stopped drinking whiskey blends. You know, I mean, it gets so bad to the point where the blenders say to the distillers, stop, we don't need it. That's it. We don't need any more. So, you know, the... the, the, you know, the, the single malt distillers are either mothballed, and then some of them reinvent themselves to sell single malt. I mean, that's where it comes yeah, from. Yeah, it, comes in, it starts coming in the, I remember in the 70s. It comes out uh, of desperation, yeah. really, because they can see the future is not bright. And they also see that there's a little bit of a connoisseur market. Right. You know, which had, not, had been ignored in the post-war years. Yeah. And the, they're starting to sow the seeds of revival with that. Right. When I was a, a teen in the 70s, a friend of my parents used to drink Laphroaig, mm. a really smoky, yeah. peaty Islay malt. Sure. And it was one of the maybe four malts available in America. Yeah. 
And that was my, my introduction to Scotch whiskey. Right. So anything after that was easy, you know, because I used to, if I'd hang sit around with my right. parents, I was an older teen. Uh, drinking age was right. 18. And even sure. when I was 17, I could have a yeah. little glass. It tasted medicinal. Yeah, and I, I would be damned if I'd say, ah, no, I can't drink right, that, right. you know. Uh, try sure. to man up about it. And, I think I think most people who drink Lafroy, that's the first, you yeah. know, uh, oh, man. Yeah, sort of muscle it. your way through that <laughs> yeah. first glass. But uh, you, you learn to like it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Gross on you. You also start to see some creativity among all these bad drinks. I remember coming across a series of articles about a bar, I think it was called P.L. Cahoots, in uh, the early 80s in Frederick, Maryland, that had 180 shots. Wow. Shooters, you know, mixed shooters. Yeah. And these were like crazy combinations right. of ingredients, but they were thinking about mixology. That's you know? like a like a New York diner menu. I can't even exactly. imagine they would have enough ingredients for I all know. Of those. I, well, drinks. they were all you know they were heavy on the liqueurs, right. and sure. there was a lot of chartreuse, there was a lot of Grand Marnier, right. there was a lot of tequila, the hot ingredient. And, 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 and back in it, like in the seventies, day people would have a bar cart at home or in a restaurant. Yeah, and you'd have ten, twelve, more liqueurs. I mean, yeah, that was the thing. Yeah, people drank liqueurs after dinner. You yeah. Know? We don't do that anymore. No, not really. No. I'm not. <laughs> I have a lot of liqueurs at home because I mix a lot of drinks. Right, right. But uh, even then, I don't have as many as uh, some, you know, an average swinger would have had right. uh, in the 70s. It's funny, but. Uh, <laughs> well, it's hard. I mean, it was hard when I was working on my book, The Art of American Whiskey. For, for each chapter, I tried to find American whiskey drinks that people were drinking during that period. Mm -hmm. And for the 70s and 80s, it, it gets tough to find it's recipes where people are actually using American whiskey. You have the Boilermaker, you know, you have some right. other ones, but it's not it's not as easy. I mean, that was it, it was it was one of the hardest parts of the book to do unexpectedly was to find American whiskey recipes yeah, I, I mean, for that period. Yeah, I mean, you could find other crazy stuff. Sure. I remember there was one drink. Chartreuse saw the uh, success of Galliano with the Harvey Wallbanger. Sure. And, you know, these traditional old line, high quality French things were struggling. They said, we got to get in on this. And in the 70s, they came up with the swamp water which was a mason jar with a handle on it. They, they sold you the jars right. with cartoons of, of like alligators. And right. uh, in it, you'd put ice, green chartreuse, and pineapple juice. Interviewed was the marketing director of chartreuse in America, this French guy saying, yeah, I know it's terrible, but we've got to sell this, this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Even he could, you know. Did, did it work? Did people? Uh, it did for a while because they promoted it. You know, right. those are the kind of things that work as long right. as you're promoting it. And also you're giving away free glasses. Exactly, you know, exactly. And afterwards, nobody cares. Right. But for a while there, you know, chartreuse, this this ancient, like, medicinal formula right. made by monks in the French Alps, the same, right. you know, time-honored way. They, oh they were selling God. it to frat parties to be put in mason jars with pineapple juice. I would love to have been a fly on the wall when they told the monks that this is how they were yeah. going to market chartreuse. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that was, that was the dark ages. And it's kind of funny because now a lot of bartenders are scouring the country, the internet, the world – Looking for those bottles of oh, chartreuse yeah, from the dark ages, yeah, where you know, the, instead of mixing it with pineapple juice, they'd want them now for sipping or for for cocktails. Uh, I almost bought a uh, a, a mint condition uh, swamp water party set not too long oh, ago. Oh yeah! Until I realized that you know, where, what am I going to do with right. this? It, it, it's cool, but uh, I don't have space for it. That's I live hilarious. in New York City; nobody has space here. Right. 
but it was funny. It was like six mason jars with handles on them. You know, maybe a poster that you could stick up right. saying swamp water with a cartoon <laughs> alligator in that chunky what, 70s what cartoon is, What does a French monk know anything about know. swamp water and an alligator? No, it was, you know, it was, it was like the Harvey Wallbanger. Yeah. It was come up by marketing people, you know. And, well, I liked in, in a recent article that you did uh, answering our readers' questions on the Daily Beast. Somebody wrote in about the monkey gland, and at the end yeah. you said, pour down the sink and pour yourself a shot. <laughs> <laughs> One of those drinks. Yeah. You know, there are drinks like that that you know, I just don't care for. You, you just you, you taste it once. and yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're good. You're done. You don't need to drink it more. Especially something like the 80s, you have the movie Cocktail, you know, you have the Tom Cruise character, mm. you have all of these chain bars opening up, and drinking seems to be such a part, you know, looking back at least, of the culture, and right. the nightlife is legendary in Miami Vice, you have all these clubs, but it's one of these weird things where the truth of the matter is, is that what most people are drinking is Bartles and James. Yeah, and, you know, uh, the white wine spritzer was very popular. Right, exactly. Uh, the rosés first, you know. Yeah. Uh, and they're drinking basically modified highballs, you know. Right. Uh, there are very few up drinks. Drinks like, you know, you'd serve in a martini sure. glass or a cocktail glass. Everything is on the rocks. Everything yeah. is on those ice chips. It makes sense, though, when you look at it, like the full timeline of the cocktail in America. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, the original heyday is, you know, what, like 18, late 1800s, early 20th century. Mm-hmm. You know, you have World War One, Prohibition, World War Two. We've lose basically all of our knowledge. Yeah. So it's almost like this dark period is how we sort of figure out our relationship and how to mix drinks again. Maybe this has a little uh, analog for contemporary Americas. We had to kind of see how bad it could get right. before we, we, we right. realized that, uh, no, this is something that, that's worth hanging on to. Absolutely. You know, uh, we, the, this, this traditional American art, a uh, fine art of, of mixing drinks. I know the uh, sleeve tattooed young mixologists uh, behind the bar can be a little self-important and annoying these days, but they can make you a perfect Manhattan. Right. They can they can mix you up a daiquiri. They can make these delightful drinks, and I would rather have that absolutely than have Brian Brown doing the hippy hippy shake behind the right. bar and pouring some sweet gunk into a glass right. that I've got to choke down in the hope of meeting a charming young person who's equally indiscriminating in <laughs> in, in the realm of drinks. You know, if you understand in the landscape, the eighties, you know, the Big Mac is king. You have new Coke, you know, clear <laughs> Pepsi comes yeah. on not that many years later. Yeah. I mean, this kind of big chain kind of innovation, like a homemade cocktail, That's doesn't really, yeah. it doesn't really fit in with, uh, no. you know, the huge hair and the rock and roll. It's just not part of I mean, of... I remember hanging out at the Hard Rock Cafe when the first one opened in New York. Sure. Uh, because I was a musician at the time and uh, we knew their publicist, so they wanted 
people who looked like musicians to hang out in there. Right, to actually be so, there. So we'd go to all the parties and eat off of toothpicks. Right. But the drinks were just terrible, you know, and that was what it was. The beer was bad. The spirits were bad. At that point, I'd already learned to drink dry gin martinis, fortunately, because I could only afford to drink in old man bars. If you walked into an old man bar and ordered a woo-woo, the, the, the grizzled door. old Irishman behind the bar would not treat you very nicely. No. But if you said a martini, they'd say, all right, I know how to make that for right. one thing. And, uh, you know, all right, you're all right, kid. Sure. And so, you know, you drink the martinis, plus you, you realize that's the most alcohol you could get for your money. Right. <laughs> uh, there was no filler in those things. Any, any old man at a bar would appreciate that, certainly. Yeah. But it's amazing. Bad cocktails sort of cling yeah. their staying power of these cocktails. Well, a lot of people now grew up with them, you know? Absolutely. And, and, uh, just because it's a bad drink doesn't mean you're a bad person, you know? Oh, absolutely. And uh, I, I'll drink bad drinks from time to time. Look, and Harvey Wallbanger, fine. you know, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Drink. I'm not going to yeah. lie. You know, yeah. I've had several yeah. good ones, yeah. you know, and, over and, the years. You know, so all, More than all several of those good things, ones. Any, any drink in good company is a good drink. Yeah, absolutely. You know? and, and I don't certainly think that because I drink a rye Manhattan, does that make me a better person than no. somebody who doesn't? As I always tell when I'm training bartenders, that person who came in and ordered a Cape Codder, for all you know, she's a pediatric neurosurgeon, you right. know, and she's just had a hard day saving little children's lives <laughs> while you're sitting there and sneering at her for drinking a goddamn vodka cranberry right. juice. You know, right. it's like, get over yourself. You make the best damn vodka cranberry yeah. juice cocktail you can that's for right her. that's right you know treat everybody like they right. may, might be like that it's, yeah. there's no moral judgment no, it's true. attached to it and that's that's where people fall down i think the imperative should be is to try to make those drinks as good as they possibly yeah. can be made yeah and you and know. you know also maybe show people if you get a chance they might like something else that yeah. would be better for them and better yeah. It doesn't have so much processed uh, stuff in it exactly that's, that's uh, fresh and clean uh, the cocktail revolution came about one drink at a time. I mean, I think the daiquiri, the margarita are examples yeah. of that where for so long, you know, that you ordered a margarita, the, you know, the blender would be going, the yeah. day glow, you the know, green would go, would in, go yeah. in. And, you My know, wife I, used to work at a place uh, in New York long gone, this chain Carambas. It was famous for their margaritas. They got arre- They got busted because it turns out they, for their frozen margaritas, they didn't use any tequila at all. They used Everclear. <laughs> <laughs> well, nobody probably nobody knew. I no. mean, like, what, what, you know, yeah, and you just put a little bit in, and you know, there's it was the fine. alcohol. Yeah, it's exactly. Fine. But you're right, though. Like you take something like the margarita, obviously, yeah. or the daiquiri, and, and it's still people though. When when you make them one of these drinks, they say, "Oh, I thought I thought I, was gonna, I thought you were gonna get out a blender yeah, yeah. and make this. No, you don't need a blender to make a daiquiri. Like, no. but so many people, you make them the real original version Absolutely. of the drink." And that's, that's how the cocktail revolution yeah. came about, one drink at a time. Yeah. One person tasted this thing and said, I'm not going back. Right. I want it always like this. But, I mean, I do have to say there are guilty pleasures. You know, oh, things like, you know, the white Russian. I don't, I don't really see any way to fix that drink I mean, no. or, or make it, you know, no. better. But I do appreciate what it is. I mean, there's, you know, there is yeah. always a time and a place for a white Russian, I think. I've had white Russians uh, pretty recently. Yeah. Uh, uh, there are others. I like a grasshopper occasionally. Sure. Uh, especially if you put a little cognac in it, slide right. it in there. <laughs> it uh, suddenly go, becomes very delicious. Yeah. Again, you know, it doesn't all have to be one thing all the time. But yeah. on the whole, I like the classic ones better than the Dark Ages ones. Absolutely. They use more honest ingredients, more balanced. 
Sure. Rely less on trickery like ice chips and oversweetening. And, and you can actually have more than one. You yeah, know? exactly. Because the, the dark ages, they're either too powerful yeah. or they're way too oh, sweet. Way too sweet, exactly. Your teeth are hurting after yeah. one of them. It's an interesting period. I mean, I think, you know, it definitely deserves more attention and scholarship. Yeah, there's, there's stuff. And, I mean, they're the seeds within it of, yeah. of where we are now. You know, yeah. there were people who were being creative. Absolutely. There were people who they were doing things like infusing vodka with fresh fruit because, sure. you know, they wanted some yeah, fresh flavors. Absolutely. That was interesting. Or you see even in, you know, Booker No down in Kentucky is yeah. starting to, you know, he's getting bored making Jim Beam white label all the time. So he's experimenting. You know, in Boston, Kentucky, in their second distillery, yeah. which he was running. And, you know, lo and behold, he sort of helps create yeah. the, the whole small batch, you know, premium bourbon. You know, the craft bourbon um, category comes out of that. You know, he's yeah. making bookers for himself kind of mm-hmm. as, as a way of entertaining you know, himself between Yeah, there, his you know, there's and, the, uh, the people at Old Granddad doing, launching Old Granddad 114 Barrel right. Proof. You know, same, because yeah. it's the same thing. They said, we're making a lot of good whiskey here that people aren't appreciating. Right. Let's let's show them. And Blanton's, of course. Yeah, of course. Elmer Lee, you know, saying single barrel. Look, at that's how I drink it, you know. Right. I found uh, an interview with him that he had done for an, uh, an audio archive. Uh-huh. Um, you know, he introduced Blanton's. You know, he, he was so proud of it. He thought this is, this is such a genius idea. And he yeah. went to the other distillers. He said, listen, this is the future. Like, yeah, you yeah. know, these... You know, this kind of, I mean, obviously nobody called it this, but craft, you know, boutique bourbon, you know, this is the way to go. Yeah. And they're all like, eh, yeah. <laughs> no, we're okay. No. No. Like, good luck with that, buddy. Yeah. Like, you know, and obviously he was right. And that's, yeah, he was right. You know, that he, was the future. Yeah, it was him and a couple other people said, yes, yeah. you know, this is the way to go. And I think at the time that, you know, Blanton's first came out, some of these things, for all the money in the world, I wouldn't have thought that this was the way that the world was going to no. go. It looked like it was going from bad to worse. Yeah. Like it always does. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, but amazingly enough, ye of little yeah, faith. I know. I know. Uh, things turned around. And if anything, you know, it's. Uh, well, I mean, back in the dark ages, when I, at the end of it, when I started writing about cocktails, uh, people asked me why I was doing this weird job. And I would say, I, I would tell them, because I want to be able to walk into any bar in America and have a real Manhattan. And then we'd all laugh. Right. <laughs> you know, what a like silly that's notion. never going to happen. You know, Dave, this is, you're so yeah, that's that just uh, yeah. We we all thought that was that was really funny. Guess right. what? Yeah, here it's we happened. are. It's happened. It's not just the Manhattan. It's like, what bourbon do you want? What yeah. what rye do yeah. you want? What vermouth yeah. do you want? Yeah. You know, you, yeah. I think I will stir it and what not bitters. It. You know, yeah. what, if anything, they're now telling you. I know. It's too much. It. <laughs> but it's better, you know, we, we've got rich people's problems when it comes exactly. to drinks. Exactly, exactly. Better than the dark ages. Yep. Well, that concludes another episode of Life Behind Bars. I'm Noah Rothbaum. I'm Dave Wandrich, and we'll see you uh, around the corner for a Long Island iced tea. <laughs> <laughs>
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.